Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemayim va'et ha'aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Good morrow, everybody. My name is Ben Laboot, and welcome to Stories of Symmetry, revealing beauty and purpose through another look at faith, the sacred, and the stories that unite us all. What you just heard was the opening line of the Bible, Genesis 1-1. These seven words, as they are written in Hebrew, are, arguably, some of the most analyzed words in human existence. One can ask the first questions that come to mind, such as, the text says, in the beginning. When was the beginning? What exactly are the heavens and the earth? From there, maybe go a step deeper and ask, why is the word for God plural? What does it mean that God created? And moreover, since the Hebrew word carries connotations of purpose and creativity, what does it mean that the first action we see God doing is similar to an artist creating a masterpiece? Why does the Israelite creation story depict God as purposefully and willingly creating existence, whereas other ancient creation stories often attribute creation and the earth itself as an accident or concomitant byproduct of something else. After spending enough time with these, perhaps go deeper still and ask, why is God the third word of the Bible and not the first? Why does the Bible start with the letter B? Is that significant? Since the first word, Bereshit, is the word fire, esh, surrounded by the word covenant, is there any validity in assuming that God also created a covenant with fire, or that earth was formed in fire and that was the covenant? Or is that word foreshadowing that God will somehow use fire to begin a new covenant? Questions like these barely scratch the surface. Yet when I pick up the Bible and read, In the beginning, God, I have to pause there. For me, the question that comes to mind is, who is God? While at first this sounds naive, it's actually quite difficult to answer. Even still, I think it's worth asking, because if the Bible is a collection of stories about the ways in which God and mankind have interacted and grown with each other, then isn't it important to try to discern who the main character is? After all, God is the only character who's in the story the whole time, from beginning to end, alpha to omega, or, quite literally, from the bait that begins the Bible to the new that concludes it. God and the Son are the leitmotif and the thread binding the entire work together. Yet the question remains, who is God? If you continue from the Bible's first sentence, and read all the way through its first book, you will learn much about God. However, you will never be formally introduced in the sense that you will never learn God's name. For that introduction, 
skip over to the second book, Exodus, chapter 3, which is the famous scene with Moses and a burning bush. One day, Moses was tending his flock when he saw a bush that was on fire, but not burning up. He went to investigate the unusual sight, and when he was close, a voice called out from the bush and said, Moses, Moses. This was the encounter in which God, speaking through the bush, told Moses that he would be God's mouthpiece and help liberate his fellow Israelites from their bondage. Picking up the story at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I go to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? God said to Moses, I was and I will be that which causes to be. I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God further replied, Say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Here, in this brief conversation, God referred to himself in four different ways. First, there is what I have translated as, I was and I will be that which causes to be. Most Bibles translate these same words as either, I am who I am, or I will be that which I will be. The Hebrew words used are Ahaya, Asher, Ahaya. The reason why this has multiple translations is because the word's meaning is not fully understood. Almost certainly they are a form of the verb to be, but the tense is unclear. It can be past, present, future, or some other tense, but the word is repeated, so I am, I am, I was, I was, etc., or even a combination thereof, are all valid translations. Ahaya can also mean the idea of to call or bring into being, or even to happen. What I do in my mind is try to find the common ground in all of these ideas. I conflate them and derive, I was and I will be that which causes to be. But, as I am neither a linguist nor an authority on the subject, don't be too harsh on me, and you yourself decide for yourself, for we must all understand the Bible in our own way. So we have the first way in which God refers to himself. I am who I am. Next, God tells Moses, Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am, the same word used before, Ahia. This time, however, only once. I am. In the Septuagint, which is one of the oldest copies of the text that we have, written in Greek actually, the words are Ego Ami, I am. Third, God refers to himself as the strange word Yahweh. This word makes the previous two names comfortably easy to translate. This is the famous unspoken name of God. You may have seen it written out before 
as what is called the Tetragrammaton. In English, it is the four capital letters Y-H-W-H. You see, Hebrew is an interesting language because it does not have letters for vowels. And, as the language is so ancient, it was not until relatively recently, in the grand scheme of time, that a way to indicate vowel sounds, called nakud, was developed. So in ancient times, it was impossible to pronounce Hebrew accurately until you first heard how the words sound. This is well and good, unless you stop pronouncing a certain word. And that's exactly what happened. Around the 3rd century BC, the Jews became very concerned about mispronouncing the name of God, which to them was considered blasphemy. So an elegant solution was devised. Simply don't say the name of God. The consequence of this, however, was that after a few hundred years, the proper pronunciation was altogether forgotten. We have the consonants, but not the vowels. It's even unclear if the word should have two or three syllables. As a quick aside, if you are following along in your Bible, you would have a very uncommon translation indeed if it had either the word Yahweh or the tetragrammaton YHWH. Instead, your Bible probably uses either the word Jehovah or, more commonly, the word Lord spelled in tiny capital letters. This is because, after the Jews had decided to stop speaking the name of God, when they encountered it in the text, they would pronounce the word Adonai, which means my Lord. Thus, Adonai, or Lord, became the preferred way to refer to God. And your Bible prints Lord in tiny capital letters to let you know that the original text is not Lord, that is Adonai, but that mysterious tetragrammaton that no one knows how to pronounce. If your Bible says Jehovah, that is because some scribes would insert the letters for Adonai, Lord, in between the YHWH tetragrammaton. And around the 13th century AD, this was mistaken for a normal word and would have been pronounced something like Yehoah. Finally, in the hands of German speakers, this became Jehovah. It should be noted that, though the name of God is unknown, it is almost certainly not Jehovah, because there is no J sound in Hebrew. Coming back around, however, I said that God referred to himself in four ways, and thus far we've only covered three of them. The fourth was when God referred to himself as the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I think that this, to me, is the most meaningful for us as human beings. I talked about it in The God of Abraham, Season 1, Episode 11. But of all the infinite ways in which God could choose to identify himself, he chooses to associate with people, human beings, sinners, blasphemers and apostates like we are, and yet God still associates with us. God's moniker is pragmatic, yes, but it is also a statement and a reminder to us that God loves us. We creatures formed from the dirt, we are precious in God's eyes. Since that was a lot of information, I want to recapitulate for your sake and mine. In Exodus chapter 3, we are introduced to God vicariously through Moses during the scene with the burning bush. 
and God refers to himself in four different ways. 1. Ahaya asher ahaya, a form of the verb to be that is commonly translated as I am who I am. If you are like me, however, and want to think more broadly, I was and I will be that which causes to be. 2. Ahaya in Hebrew, ego eimi in Greek, I am in English. 3. The tetragrammaton YHWH, which no one is certain how to pronounce. One good guess is to say Yahweh, but to avoid saying it incorrectly, Lord, with the tiny capital letters, is usually substituted. 4. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God uses the patriarchs of his chosen people to distinguish himself from other deities. Now, while all that might feel like a full episode, it's actually just the appetizer. The meat and potatoes of this episode come from the Gospel of John. The people asked Jesus, How do we do the work of God? Jesus replied, Believe in him who God has sent. The people then asked, If you are the one sent from God, then what signs or works can you give us? Moses, when the nation was hungering in the wilderness, gave the people bread from heaven. Truly, truly, Jesus replied, Moses did not provide the bread from heaven, but it was provided by the Father who gives the true bread from heaven, and that bread is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, give us this bread, the people asked. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The Gospel of John which centers around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, was originally written in Greek. And reading in that original language, Jesus said unto them, Ego eimi ho artos tes zoes. I am the bread of life. Did you catch it? The ego eimi. Ego eimi ho artos. I am the bread. Ego eimi. I am. It's the same expression that God chose when speaking to Moses from the burning bush. And while I would normally consider such specific cross-referencing grasping at straws, I aver that this ego eimi is something special. And here's why. Ancient Greek, the original language of John's Gospel, treats the verb to be in the fashion of most Romance languages. Take Spanish, for example. To say I am, one could say yo soy, but the yo, the word for I, first person singular, is usually not necessary. Therefore, to say something like I am strong, one can say yo soy fuerte, but generally you would say soy fuerte and omit the yo. Italian is the same, I am strong, io sono forte. But unless there is a good reason to do otherwise, any native speaker would simply say, sono forte, and omit the io, 
The same with Latin. Instead of ego sum, just say sum. And indeed, it is the same in Greek. Instead of ego eimi, just say eimi. But God said, ego eimi, I am. Therefore, Jesus also said, ego eimi, I am. And this is significant because by it, Jesus was deliberately calling attention to I am. And this certainly would not have been lost on his original audience. Rather, it would have been as bold and conspicuous as sounding a gong whilst playing bagpipes. And not just once, but seven times in John's Gospel did Jesus use the phrase, Ego Amy, I am. While each I am statement is worthy of its own sermon series, I will limit myself to merely enumerating them. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. John 8.12, I am the light of the world. John 10.7, I am the door, often translated I am the gate. John 10.11, I am the good shepherd. John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15.1, I am the true vine. Taking a brief aside, have you ever noticed that the same numbers occur over and over again in the Bible? That's because numbers are significant. Take, for example, 40, the number of testing and trial. For 40 days the floodwaters rained down from heaven. For 40 days the Philistine champion Goliath taunted the army of Israel until David cut him down. For forty years the Israelites wandered through the wilderness. Jesus spent forty days in the wilderness after his baptism. And the extensive list goes on. Three represents unity or completeness, as of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. There are three patriarchs, three sons of Adam, three sons of Noah, three gifts from the Magi, three divisions of the temple, for three days was Jonah inside the belly of a fish, etc., etc., and of course, three days between the death and resurrection of Jesus. Twelve represents perfection or completeness, and it's by far my favorite number because it's what mathematicians call a highly composite number. And if the world rid itself of the asinine decimal system and replaced it with the dozenal system, then the world would be a far better place, and everyday calculations also would be much easier. Let's be honest, there's a reason why the calendar has 12 months, a foot has 12 inches, and a carton has 12 eggs. Personal feelings aside, there were 12 sons of Israel, which gave way to other 12s, like the 12 tribes, 12 disciples, 12 gates of New Jerusalem, and the 12 angels who guard those gates. Of course, everyone has heard of 666, or 666, the number of the beast in John's Revelation. And that book also mentioned lots and lots of sevens. Seven letters to seven churches, seven lampstands, seven stars, Seven horns, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven beatitudes, 
and many, many more. And in another book by the same author, John, in his gospel, there are seven I am statements. And yet, there's actually an eighth I am. If I'm being honest, that eighth I am is the whole point of today. But to understand it, we needed the backstory. I wanted you to understand that I am is not just the shortest sentence in the English language, but that when Moses spoke to God and asked, What is your name? God said, I am. I am, I am. Maybe Moses thought something like, But the Egyptian gods have names, you know, Ra, Isis, Horus. Do you have something like that? God might have replied, but the difference is that those Egyptian things are statues. I am. The gods of the Canaanites and the Greeks and the Romans, they're nothing. But I am. I am, I am. Twice. Ahaya asher ahaya. Ego eimi ho'on. I can see the same look on Moses that I've seen on countless others. The look of, I don't get it. But God said, you don't need to get it. I am. Do you need understanding? I am wisdom. Are my people oppressed? I am liberation. Is there too much stress? I am peace. Is the journey too long? I am strength. Are your enemies too numerous? I am victory. Are the people hungry? I am bread. Does it all seem too dark? I am the light. Do the sheep feel threatened? I am the door. Seven times in John's Gospel did Jesus say, I am something you need. But I said that there was an eighth ego Amy. In John 18, after the Last Supper, as Jesus was finishing praying in Gethsemane, soldiers came to arrest him. Jesus asked, Whom do you seek? The soldiers answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Then Jesus said to them, I am. No qualifiers, nothing superfluous or extra, only ego eimi. I am. And the soldiers drew back and fell to the ground. For two episodes now, we've asked the question, what's in a name? And though I can't say what for sure, I know that there is something in a name. I don't know what it is in your name, and I don't know what it is in mine, but I do know that in God's name, there is power. Because when the Son of God said the name of God, a shockwave moved through the air. Because when a believer invokes the name of God, even non-believers are stopped in their tracks. At the sound of I am, angels prostrate themselves. Because I am is significant. Because I am is the name of Almighty God, who was and is and who causes to be the Holy One, the first and the last, the creator and overseer of all things, Ahaya Asher Ahaya, 
Ego eimi ho'on. I am. And now consider that when mankind was at the end of the rope, needing a redeeming sacrifice, but unable to gather a sufficient oblation, God stepped in and said, I am the sacrificial lamb. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the great I am was arrested and entered willingly into his passion. He was charged with crimes he had not committed. He was paraded and arraigned before one earthly ruler after another, then beaten and humiliated, tortured and scorned, before finally being stripped and nailed to a cross as soldiers mocked him and gambled away his possessions in front of him, dying finally on the side of the road like a common criminal, dying not for his sins, but for ours, to atone for crimes that he did not commit, so that finally, after so many millennia, God and mankind could be reunited once more. And after being removed from the cross, the body of Jesus was laid in a tomb. But the story didn't end there, because Jesus once said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And on the third day, when they went to look for the body of Jesus, it wasn't there anymore. Because Jesus didn't stay dead, he conquered death and rose from the grave. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. My name is Ben Laboot, and thank you for listening to Stories of Symmetry, a fortnightly podcast dedicated to revealing beauty and purpose through another look at faith, the sacred, and the stories that unite us all. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please share it with those you know. And don't forget that blogs, episodes, and other information about the show are available online at storiesofsymmetry.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Stories of Symmetry. Have a great day and a great two weeks until we meet again. Go with God. Go in peace.